Hey everyone, welcome back to episode number 29 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I am your host, Andrew Coates. Um, my co-host, Ozzy, my cat, is sitting right beside me. I don't think you're going to hear him say anything. Uh, and I've been guilty of being on hiatus for about three weeks, I believe, as my schedule has been pretty much overrun with training requests, onboarding new online clients, and uh, and writing obligations. So unfortunately, the podcast was the thing that ended up triaged out but it is my hope and intent that I'll be able to keep going weekly. And so uh, in the effort to get it back running again, I brought my good friend, Mike Howard on of Lean Minded. That's his brand name, brand moniker. So it's great to have you back, Mike. Thanks for having me, Andrew. This is fantastic. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to have you. And for anyone who's not yet familiar with you, uh, you're also a published author. You know, you're a, you're a fitness writer. And you're a, um, a nutrition coach functioning in the online space but not just any nutrition coach, you're more about kind of mindset and a lot of the, the mm-hmm. attitudes surrounding how to approach fat loss. You term yourself mm-hmm. a fat loss coach. Uh, we're going to get into that for in a second too. But uh, I first wanted to see what you've been up to. This is a cool opportunity for me to chat with my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody's been really busy this year. So, you know, how has the year started for you and what's on the horizon? Yeah, I know for sure. As you know, it's and everybody knows it's been a very interesting year. And um, funny enough, I mean, this is this time last year was the last I think somebody posted is the last sort of quote unquote normal week normal that week. we had, <laughs> you know, um, and then everybody's world kind of went sideways. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting year. Uh, the, the initial part was a bit of a scramble. Um, but I feel like I was very fortunate. I was able to sort of pick myself back up after a bit of pivoting and and yeah, just I think it just re-emphasized things, uh, directions that I was starting to go to anyway. And it, this just kind of really put some fuel and uh, and lit lit a fire under me to to really get it done in a faster way uh, in terms of you know migrating things online. So I still very much um, do the brick and mortar thing, personal training, love it. Um, but yeah, now it's a little bit more scattered. So in, instead of just being at a traditional um, gym, a studio. I am doing things in homes and I'm doing a combination of virtual stuff and then online coaching. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And then of course, doing some writing stuff as well. So that's, that's been my year. And again, I feel like I'm very fortunate that I'm almost back to full capacity and it just, it's one of those things you just had to kind of, you know, shift a little bit and, and really, um, yeah, get, get, find that different direction, a different way to do things that you, you love to do. And a lot of people were pushed into the same position. A lot of what happened depended on what state or province you were in, you know, what city you're in. Some places got more heavily affected than others. Uh, different places had different reactions. I mean, you know, it goes from California on one end of the spectrum to Florida on the other in terms of, you know, whether or not your business has been closed on you and for how long. So, you know, some fitness professionals have really gotten the short end of the stick on this one. And, and some people have been relatively unaffected by it mm-hmm. um, you know mm-hmm. here in Alberta right next door to you in British Columbia we've kind of had the middle ground um, right. you know we have had our gyms closed for I think it's about five of the last 12 months mm. um, we just had sort of a sort of reopening again there's some odd restrictions my industry sort of enthusiasts are having an absolute fucking meltdown over them but funny enough they actually do make some intuitive sense uh, I, I, I actually don't really want to get into that stuff I mean if anybody <laughs> You can message me. It'd be a very long but conversation. It, yeah, it doesn't make it. It doesn't really matter to the general listener from all over the everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we've all been dealt different hands. 
we all still have within our ability uh, to control our attitude and mm-hmm. our choices uh, based on the limitations we're faced with, right? And some of the stuff really sucks. It's really unfair. Your brick and mortar business owner who's been forced to close mm-hmm. that's really tough. Absolutely. But, you know, we've talked to, you know, on the podcast and, and outside of it, people like Luca Hosevar, P2P, mm-hmm. you know, physical gym facility owners who have taken this opportunity to do everything they can to not only pivot, but also to make their businesses and their brands really strong. So mm-hmm. I think... I have a feeling that the type of person who's listening to this is also someone who's faced this adversity head on, mm-hmm. challenge themselves to, you know, educate, you know, pivot their business, get stronger in some measurable way. And it's going to come out the other side of this absolutely flying. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. how busy I've been the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. People are shifting around and we're, you know, we're making it work one way or another. And you're also right in that, you know, situationally, it, things are different depending on where you are geographically, depending on whether you have a brick or mortar facility. But you're right. I mean, pe- even people that do have facilities are they're finding ways to to get it done. And I think initially we were all in similar phases in, in that, okay, everything just kind of, okay, we shut down almost universally and gyms weren't, weren't open. We were taking, you know, the extra cautious routes. And yeah, I think that's when the default you know, kicks in where, where I saw the industry really step up in a big way and people were offering free, you know, online things and we were putting together exercise videos. And, and I think we, we did a really good job overall, I think as an industry. And, and for me personally, I, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, okay. I'm just going to keep giving, right. I'm just going to, to, to give. And I've, you know, I've been super fortunate that I have clients that are, you know, giving back. And I think that, you know, law of reciprocity and, you know, from Cialdini's work is just really kind of kicks into high gear there when we're just like, okay, and giving not because we're expecting something in return, but giving because that's what we do as, as, as professionals in a lot of ways, right? We're there to serve our, our clientele. And um, yeah, no, so that's what I found myself doing. I con- constructed, you know, a manual on how to how to beat this pandemic in, in the healthiest way possible and, and how to survive it, how to, how to thrive during it. And, and, you know, so it, it was good because it stretched me in different ways. And I had to, I had to find different ways to write and different ways to adapt. And yeah, we just, we were all taking a different, slightly different route here in different situations, but um, yeah, no, overall, I can't complain. Not that I had to that. <laughs> that was <laughs> wonderful. So one of the things, as I was, you know, thinking about what to chat with you, I'd always want to have interesting topics to bring to the audience. In you know, I was, I was looking at your bio because, like, all right, I want to make sure I can have these keynotes about your bio, and I noticed that you have the language a fat loss coach, and it mm. immediately got me thinking of this crazy ideological battle that Spencer Nadolsky has mm. been, you know, in the middle of, uh, and, and Spencer, we both know, is one of the nicest most thoughtful Mm -hmm. evidence-based but kind and progressive thinking people in our industry Mm -hmm. he's no specialist and Mm -hmm. so he's faced a bit of an attack from and i mean i'm going to use the word straight up extremists right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this fringe the lunatic fringe of our industry who have deemed any language or marketing Mm. that expresses that we would help people with fat loss as being mm-hmm. of it of it in and of itself uh fat phobic right and yeah. so that's a bit nuts mm-hmm. and it kind of goes into this greater you know 
feeling that people have, they whip around the, the phrase cancel culture, but mm-hmm. it's an example mm-hmm. of it. And of course, then, you know, uh, Lane Norton, Dr. Lane Norton, Dr. Mike Isertel, who are both, uh, you know, friends, contemporaries of Spencer's, they also get pulled into it as well. Now, Lane is very mm-hmm. bombastic. Mike is usually mm-hmm. very, very <laughs> eloquent, very thoughtful, but, yes. you know, sometimes won't pull any punches. And of course, Spencer himself <laughs> has been creating a series of, of quote, memes, you know, everything from, you know, how there's this people treating the word obesity like it's a slur or a dirty word mm-hmm. and they're using an asterisk to kind of make it somehow disappear. And, and Spencer's mm-hmm. saying that, you know, t- treating it like it's, uh, you know, a slur is not helping people get healthier. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're very thoughtful in of, it, in of yourself too. So what are your thoughts on this entire situation? Mm. And let's also let you play around in, you know, for, for people like Spencer, like Mike, like Lane, they're not particularly worried about what's coming at them. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. going to buckle to cancel culture. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. younger, the newer, the unestablished coach right. who might be really worried about the language they're using or this boogeyman that's out there to get them if they make a misstep, mm-hmm. what do you say to them? Yeah, no, I think it starts off with being authentically yourself, um, whether it's your online presence or what your brand is. And I use fat loss for, for no other reason than that's that's sort of quick and it's, it's descriptive and that's what it is. Um, and I've been a firm believer of, you know, selling people what they want, but then giving them what they need. So at the surface, it comes, okay, fat loss coach, what's that all about? That I mean, it's, it's funny to me that some people would automatically equate that with being in any way fat phobic or in any way, like, you know, um, expressing that, that having a weight problem in, in any way makes you less of a, of, of a great person or a human being, which, which is, it couldn't be further from the truth. So basically my, my philosophy is based on uh, subtraction through addition, right? So it's not, it, it, it's not just about the fat loss. It's about gaining health. And um, hopefully that does come through in my messaging. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to, to look better. Personally, I think, you know, you can, they're not competing entities, as it were, so to, to want to look better naked and also have a great relationship with food. And I think they go hand in hand. And one fuels the other. So I do talk a lot about, you know, the mindset of, of, of fat loss and, and relationships with yourself, with food, with exercise and, and stepping out of your comfort zone. So that's the central components of it. Whereas, you know, fat loss is kind of the umbrella, I guess, uh, marketing term. So yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm open to sort of changing that in a way too, but that is sort of my, that is sort of my central um, focus. It's just in a different way. It's not, a strictly dietary approach. It's not a restrictive approach. It's not an approach based in anything that is is in any way, um, you know, extreme. And I feel like, you, you know, you mentioned Spencer, but I think in, in our industry, we're almost not doing our job if we're not pissing off the, the lunatic fringe, as you call it, right? So um, you're going to ruffle some feathers on, on, on every end of the spectrum. And I don't know if I'm proud to say that, but I've bathed in both like vegan tears and, you know, high fat, <laughs> low carb tears. I've bathed in healthy at every size tears as well as, you know, and, and, and not deliberately just, just by, by, by saying something that I, I feel is authentically true. And you can, 
you know, even if you can't have, have health at every size, I think the, the bottom line is you can and should have dignity at every size. And that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know, so it's not about your, your, your actual size and that's no way attached to who you are as a person or your value. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's part of the messaging. There's always a danger with policing people's speech and I'm not getting into the, the, the far end of the ideological spectrum on that one. But if we have a certain group saying that you're not allowed to say this sort of thing anymore, you're not allowed to use language that gives people access to information to help them lose body fat. I think part of that same ideological group is the group that, I mean, it's an, it's anti-science. I mean, however, mm. you know, politically correct or whatever it might be, it's anti-science. This notion that, mm. you know, you are metabolically healthy on average, regardless mm -hmm. of your level of body fat. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's mm -hmm. nonsense. I mean, you can be healthy at a higher level of body fat. Is that possible? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you statistically likely to stay healthy over the long run with a higher level of body fat percentage? Mm -hmm. You are at mm -hmm. greater risk of certain lifestyle diseases and negative outcomes, mm -hmm. not to mention, and again, people get nasty if you wave this around, God forbid you mm -hmm. create a link between the fact that obesity and COVID have a very nasty mm. comorbid relationship there. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. at what point does tiptoeing around these discussions, doing the mm -hmm. people that actually want to be healthier, a great disservice. Right. And I think that's the danger. Mm. Is yeah, no, yeah, if absolutely. And violence, then there are people who are unhappy at different sizes. There are people who are very unhappy at being underweight. There are people mm -hmm. who are unhappy and lack confidence who are overweight. Mm -hmm. And in creating a service that helps them, gives them the tools to be successful because they want to change mm -hmm. and increase the likelihood of healthy long-term outcomes, we are not the bad guys, right? Right. Anything, no, absolutely. The people who are lying about these, you know, these health outcomes out under the guise of progressive ideology they're mm. the danger to mm. people who, well, you know, I, I don't want to, to get as far as to say like, you know, the, who, who's responsible, who do we lay the bodies at the feet of at the end of the day, mm. you know, responsible for this stuff. But I just don't believe the extreme end of that is mm -hmm. what I believe. And I agree with you is, is dignity and being kind and treating people like people, mm -hmm. regardless of their body type or shape or whatever, mm -hmm. but providing the tools to help someone make changes if they want to change. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it, it, it all has to do with the messaging as well. So, you know, we know that, that we and, and doctors know that. And, you know, there is that correlation and the comorbidities with COVID and things like that. But, you know, am I as a fitness professional going to bring this up? Probably not. Um, unless I'm at, it's asked of me. So my, my messaging and my um, philosophy behind that is, you know, do they really need to hear, oh, this is, you're at this weight, so you're in this category of, and you're at this risk. I mean, it's like, you know, I think is like saying, telling a smoker that, you know, oh, that's going to kill you. You know what I mean? It's, so it's, it's about um, how we're approaching it. So um, my, my approach tends to be more along the lines of let's get you healthy. Let's see what we can do to get you healthy within your life, life and within your resources and, and we start from there and we, yes, you're, it's great to have outcome goals, but we're also going to have these process goals. And through these process goals, we focus on the processes, not so much the outcome. And when I find when people nail those process goals, then, you know, the chips fall in a favorable way when it comes to, to scale weight and the disease risk 
lowers down instead of focusing on, oh my gosh, you're in this category and you're at risk for this, this, and this. I tend not to go in that direction, um, even though it might be a physiological fact. So I'm, you know, again, I think you nailed it. Like people need to be treated with kindness and dignity. And, and these are the, the people more or less that, that, that are intimidated by gyms that are, you know, they may be coming with some form of embarrassment and shame. So I think, yeah, no, all we can do as fitness professionals is be compassionate to that, um, compassionate to their struggles and, and yeah, just, just have that nice kind of good balance between, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's time to take the bull by the horns and just kind of get this thing going, but also, you know, accepting reality where it is, uh, calling it like a gentle acceptance, but not resignation, if that makes sense. One of the things that I personally do with a lot of my work is focus on uh, getting people stronger. So Mm -hmm. I don't tend to in my certainly branding, and I don't really do a lot of direct marketing but I don't generally market towards fat loss as a mm-hmm. demographic I work with, but you always invariably end up with people who want to get leaner. And in some cases, people have a lot of weight to lose, but on the gym floor, I always focus on the basic movement patterns, doing them well and seeing people get stronger, making sure the experience mm-hmm. is a fun experience. And this is advice mm-hmm. to any coach, you know, how to go about things. And then what always ends up happening is if they're consistent with their workout experience, then strength training elevates metabolic rate. Not only are you burning calories during, which is surprisingly comparable to most cardiovascular output outside of the really high-end intensities, which beginners can't do anyway, right? It's, that's not very sustainable. So are you giving up a lot of calorie burn between doing you know, good strength training versus cardiovascular conditioning? Not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are limits to just how much strength training you can recover from in a week. Mm-hmm. So you can layer cardio on top of that. But then the recovery from strength training also burns more calories than you would otherwise at rest. So mm-hmm. that net effect is probably better than just straight doing cardio. And trainers oversell the effect of a little bit more muscle mass and how much, you know, how many more calories that consumes. But over the long run, it will add up a little bit. I mean, someone is who is. Mm-hmm my size is going to burn a lot more calories than a five foot three woman at 120 pounds. Mm -hmm. But it's still a piece of the equation. It's just often oversold. But the net effect of all of that strength training and all of its offshoots tends to be increased metabolic rate, right? Mm -hmm. And that process Mm -hmm. is continuous. Then on top of that, what tends to happen when people start getting active? What do they do with their nutrition? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I've seen it go in different directions, but I mean, when they become more active, sometimes it does have an appetite stimulating effect. Um, so they'll eat more in compensation for it. Um, but yeah, no, that, that can happen as well. I, I, yeah. And there's, there's two sides to that. I find some people that are, are more active. Yeah. They'll have a, a, a high, heightened hunger response, but then some people have that, make that cognitive connection where it's like, okay, uh, umbrella picture of health. I, I'm going to start eating more healthily too, because I'm working out. But yeah, no, I, I yeah, th- sometimes it's an overcompensation. And, with, and you uh, raise a good point there. And, and I actually wrote something about this quite a while ago. It's important to recognize what, you know, if you're doing cardio, especially, and you're noticing mm-hmm. you're getting a hunger response, your cardio actually might be detrimental. Mm-hmm. So knowing what your hunger response is in relationship to the training. Now, I would probably argue that there's still probably going to be some conscientious or 
unconscious improvement in the quality of food anyway. And that improvement in mm-hmm. the quality mm-hmm. of food probably reduces your overall calorie intake too. Mm-hmm. If you're increasing metabolic rate and your base you know, le- level of um, calorie needs, then that mm-hmm. probably will compensate at least the short term for the increased amount of calorie consumption anyway. And if that mm-hmm. is paired with an increased quality of food, I think the long run is fine because mm-hmm. we're also still, still talking about someone who's just starting out in the process. And mm-hmm. I try not to overwhelm people with workouts plus, Hey, you got to make all these nutritional changes, mm-hmm. get the consistency down within the workouts and have them Absolutely. enjoying the process. They like mm-hmm. your relationship. They want to return. They feel comfortable in a gym. Mm-hmm. Then you now have built in one of the key linchpin habits. Then mm-hmm. you can be a bit more aggressive with the nutrition and make some changes there. So mm-hmm. even if somebody, somebody doesn't notice fat loss in the initial phases, they're getting used to it, but they're bought in then you can layer in the nutrition and work on the fat loss from that angle. They're far more likely to adhere to it at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I noticed too, with my, you know, people that I train one-on-one and yeah, there's a couple of things to unpack there. And number one is, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, they're getting stronger in the gym and it's what I call like a non-scale victory, right. And something that has to do with health gains, um, you know, and gaining strength and, and putting on muscle. So even if it doesn't have, you know, the effect on our metabolic rate is we've once been told it does, um, you know, that's, that's, those are, those are victories. Those are wins. And when they feel more confident in the gym, they feel more competent, you know, it does translate into different areas of their life. So, and I, the second part to what you said there, I completely agree with is not giving them too much too soon. Um, you don't want them with an overwhelming amount of tasks. So I, I'm a huge believer, a proponent in keeping things pretty simple. Um, go after that low hanging fruit when it comes to both nutrition and your strength training, your conditioning, whatever that might be. Gravitate towards things they'll enjoy or at least not hate um, and give them what they call those Goldilocks tasks, right? Something that's going to be enough to elicit some sort of a, a benefit or response, um, but not too tough where they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to come back to see this guy again. He's, I, I've been sore for four days, right? So you want to give them things that are going to give them just enough where it's going to feel challenging and um, they're going to want to keep doing it. But you're, you're right. I mean, and the umbrella of all that is that, that relationship and their, their trust in you as a coach and their um, desire to come back to see you and trust you in what you um, recommend. This uh, topic came up in Stephen Kotler's latest book. I'm trying to remember what the hell I know I posted. It's uh, something about peak performance. Actually, it's, that's okay. not what it's called. Mm-hmm. but I have it on audible. I just got to get it. So I'm curious if you listened to it or read it yet. Um, it's called the art of impossible. Oh, I have so not. Time, I will put that on the list. Before. Yeah. Fantastic book. It's really yeah, yeah. an updated, but expanded explanation of me high chick set me high's book. Mm-hmm. Flow. He's really talking flow. about yeah. flow, but one of the things he's talking about skill acquisition and finding that like 4% more, you know, outside your comfort zone or more difficult where something's mm-hmm. not, incredibly challenging to the point you're just defeated and, and give in, but challenging enough that it's stimulating and forces you mm-hmm. to develop new skills so that that's mm-hmm. like discomfort zone. So that's exactly yes. what you're talking about. Yeah. Then, yeah. Any coach listening to this, that would be one of my, you know, I, I always do a book list at the end of the year. And Mike is a big advocate of reading and we're always <laughs> sharing books back and forth and ideas. Yeah. 
Um, but this one's definitely going to be in my most, you know, must reads mm. for 2021. Mm. I'm putting it on the list now. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, yeah, <laughs> just just to be clear, you probably read about 10 times the amount of books I do. So, but I do get a lot of great recommendations from you. And I know we've uh, bandied back and forth different ideas on different books. And uh, no, it's great. Uh, you helped expand my knowledge greatly with, with a lot of your recommendations. You're a big uh, reader. Of, you like a lot of books about critical thinking and, and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And let's take that into some of the the skills that you work on with the type with the clients that you work with. Because you're not someone who's going, oh, new client. All right, we got to find the right diet that fits you. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. looking for the right kind of skills and the right kind of mindset. So, you know, mm -hmm. what are some keys to your clients being successful? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I have gone down this very extensive, very long, very, very rabbit hole of, you know, behavioral economics and, and psychology and neurobiology. So I just became incredibly curious about how our, how our brains work at the biological level and how we make decisions. And I felt that that was the best use of my education, um, my self-education when it comes to helping other people. So I like to take different tidbits from, from different books that are non-fitness, non-nutrition related and see how they, they meld into, into the coaching aspect of things and see how they can help people. So there's been, yeah, there's been a few different books. And I, I think just in, in, in the most recent sense, and I, you know, I also read things like you do with the, in the entrepreneurial realm, right? And I find there's different, definite crossover there too. And one of the, I think both of our favorite books for the last year was Seth Godin's um, The Practice, right? So yeah, I think there was just so many good things. And Seth Godin, he's one of those guys and I get all of his books on Audible. I have physical books of his, but he's just got this, this presence with his voice that every sentence is like gold. Like you're like, oh my gosh, I want to write all of this down on my notes. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, of all the books I've read, like with, with different habit books, I find there's a lot of application and I've used some of those ideas when I wrote my own book and I just kind of formulated them into something that is related more to the nutrition end of things, to the fitness end of things. and really try to translate a lot of that, that heavy research into something that's more actionable. So, I mean, I guess I could give you a few examples here. So some of the books like, you know, Atomic Habits and, and Stick With It and Good Habits, Bad Habits by uh, Dr. Wendy Wood, like some, some of the, they have a lot of similarities. So what I'm looking for here now is some adjoining themes, some, some connective tissue with a lot of these. So uh, two of the things that sort of pop up um, over and over again are one, making things easy. I know uh, James Clear is a big fan of that one as is uh, Sean D. Young and, and, and a lot of these different behavioral economists, but. Um, it pops up in uh, Chip and Dad Heath's book, Sweet, yes, as yes, Swinging the Change. Yes, that's right. Very, yeah, very good point. And they're, they're amazing, yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, Switch, I think, we, yeah, it was mentioned in that as well. You're right. And and I think that I've, I've taken that and I've sort of expanded it into into different ways that people can make their, their journeys easier, right? Take that lower hanging fruit, making things um, less with less friction, making our good habits have less friction behind them and our, our bad habits creating more friction. And just, you know, realizing too, it's, it's less about motivation and willpower and, and more about uh, cues, context, proximity. It's how we shape our environment. So I think, and that's the, one of the bigger keys to making something simpler uh, when it comes here's, to the journey. Here's a book that hits that last topic. It's Richard Thaler's Nudge. Mm. 
right? It's about yep. the libertarian exactly. I know you've read. And that's yes. literally shaping your environment. That's right. Choice architecture. I started, you know, I, I called myself a choice architect. That's on my business card. It sounds really douchey. But I mean, I think that's the best kind of descriptor of what I do is, is I help people make better choices through nudges and through through better cues, context, better triggers. Um, so instead of saying, okay, eat this, don't eat that. Okay, how are we going to set up our kitchen? How are we going to set? And, you know, with COVID hitting, I used to divide things into, okay, our home environment, our social environment, our work environment, our travel environment. And now I've kind of bundled that all into what, what I would call our home environment because <laughs> we're spending a lot more time at home. And, you know, we were under this impression that we would just eat better. We would cook our healthy meals. And, you know, if we were at home more, <laughs> well, that didn't, didn't happen. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, um, had gained some weight and, and, you know, because they're just like, yeah, no, I was bored. My fridge is like 10 steps away. <laughs> and when I get bored, I'm just going to the fridge. So, okay, how are we going to, um, be the architects of our environment in that sense? How are we going to make our homes conducive to healthy eating? And maybe it's okay. You know, it's, it's your usual suspects, like, you know, sound grocery shopping habits, the, a good shop, shop prep habit, um, putting things eye level. Uh, I had to take all my exercise equipment out when the gym shut down because, you know, my kettlebells were in a closet, my dumbbells, I never, ever used them when they were in my closet. But if I have to trip over them to get somewhere, they're always in my, my, my visual sight. Then I'm like, okay, yeah, there they are. They're calling my name. I got to go, I got to go do something with them. Um, and, you know, part of what I did once COVID hit was I, I, I created this manual to help people design their homes in such a way that it's going to be conducive to better eating. It's going to be conducive to exercising. And, and then, you know, we have this whole, this whole thing of, 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 you know, emotional eating. And, and that's more of what I've been, been delving into lately is how to combat things like, you know, emotional eating and, and that kind of thing. And that's something I'm, 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 I'm still learning a lot about, but you know, as we know, when things are going great, it's easy to keep our habits on track, but it's when the crap hits the fan, uh, when we have these negative emotions, it's, it's our coping mechanisms and, and our defaults and, you know, how do we change those defaults? So yeah, no, a lot, lot, lot of great books out there. And I just try to make sense of them all and try to uh, spin them into something that's actionable for, for both myself and my clients. It's a big learning experience for me too. Uh, one thing that kind of goes into that would be the you know, you mentioned willpower and obviously emotional eating and, and being tired and being worn down from a year of just mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And we haven't seen our, yeah. our close friends anywhere near as much. Sometimes I haven't seen my family, you know, in mm -hmm. the summer, it'll be going on two years because they're in Newfoundland. Oh. And I mean, I, oh, I can't yeah. even fly there now without a two week quarantine. And like, mm. no. So the idea of developing an aspirational identity or being really plugged into your identity as a fit, active person. Now, mm. I've written about this numerous times that people keep coming back mm. to me because I've read Atomic Habits, but it's not where I got the concept. Mm -hmm. But people keep saying, yeah, Atomic Habits, I guess that that is in there. I don't really remember it that way. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's something I've been talking about since before I, I read that book. And if anything, I probably had it crystallized when I uh, got into James Fell's The Holy Shit Moment because I felt like mm. that went into the, the concept a lot. Right. If you are really struggling with willpower on stuff, fatigue at the end of the day, we are far more likely to engage in behavior that is consistent with who we view ourselves mm -hmm. to be, exactly. or we can certainly yeah. try to foster an aspirational identity that we want to asp mm -hmm. literally aspire to, and it makes it easier to make decisions in line with that. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. someone who's been 
pretty consistent. There was one blip on the radar uh, you know, many years ago, uh, going to the gym since I was about 24 years old, right? And I'm mm. 43 in six days. So mm. that's a long time. It's almost 20 years. And before that, I dabbled. But that's part of my identity. I'm a big muscular mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. So the idea of it takes me more emotional efforts to consider skipping the gym at the end of the yes. day than it does to actually go to the gym. And now that I have a home gym set up this year, I have no excuse. It is kind of funny how it can be challenging to go down into your basement and do it, just like you having your weights in your Mm -hmm. club. So you're not invulnerable, even if you have those identities, but it's going to be an important weapon along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that about identity because that's so huge. And that's one of the most primary things I talk about when it comes to um, you know, goal setting and, you know, it, it's more about your, your value system and your identity. So it's, it's, and people think it's similar or the same, but it's not to say, oh, I, I work out or I'm an exerciser or, you know what I mean? So they, and they've done studies on this. So people that say, um, I'm a voter versus yeah, I'll vote. You know, the people that say I'm a voter are far more likely to vote than people that are just like, otherwise it becomes a, you know, fitness, health, everything becomes an abstract idea. So when we think of it exactly how you said it, there is more aligning with our values. Um, then that, you know, it changes the dynamic of the willpower and the, and the, you know, the necessity of willpower. Now willpower isn't completely, um, out of, the, out of the question here. So we still need some of it at some points, but what we're doing is we're di- designing our lives in such a way we're aligning with our values in such a way that it we rely less on willpower, less on motivation. So, and that's huge. And I think that's the the buy-in and, and for someone like you, you know, like you said, it's it's harder to, to, to actually skip a workout for you than it is to, to partake in one. I think for a lot of sp- fitness people, it's the same thing. Like for me to just sit, that's just not going to work for me. But it's, I think, you know, getting people to buy in that maybe didn't grow up with that background. It's not, you know, it's not something that they would really naturally gravitate towards. I think it's them seeing themselves as an extra, seeing themselves as at least somebody that pursues health, because I think it's hard for somebody that feels unhealthy to identify as somebody that is healthy. But I encourage them to say, look, even if you're not in that place right now, you you do that as if method, right? Where it's like you act as if you have it already and, and just align with and value and identify as somebody who is active, somebody who eats healthfully, somebody who prioritizes health. Um, and then again, it just becomes about how are we going to align with that? How are we going to set our lives up where we can actually pull the trigger with those? I'm not sure where I picked up on this, but I read it somewhere. Um, and it's consistent with what you just said, but when smokers think of themselves as non-smokers, like former smokers think of themselves as non-smokers, they're far less likely to relapse and smoke than Mm. think of themselves as ex-smokers. Right. I don't know how that was like studied or what have you, but I I understand it to be, you know, solid evidence-based stuff that also, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not even posing this question, but it sort of flies in the face of the, the alcoholics anonymous program where they Mm. have a very strong identity as alcoholics. Right. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think as much as alcoholics anonymous seems to be an effective program for a lot of people, I don't know if it's actually been grounded in, evidence-based practice mm. that, that's mm-hmm. a for another conversation yeah 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 no for sure but i think it's yeah it, that that's interesting too and how the identifying as a non-smoker versus an ex-smoker that yeah and I, the whole dynamics of of how the 12-step programs work it's very interesting but you know it, when it comes to smoking just an example that you use there i think 
you know, it's one of those things we talk about cues and context and the smoking rate in at least in North America has dropped by 50% in the last 45 years. So it's been massive. And, and part of that is this kind of societal restructuring. All of a sudden it became uh, a bylaw. Not you, you can't smoke in restaurants anymore. You can't smoke in bars. And I, you know, I, I grew up, my early childhood was in Montreal. That's where everybody smoked. And even there, they're, they're sort of not letting you smoke in coffee shops anymore in restaurants. Um, so you know, we had these um, devices in society where it became harder and harder to, to smoke, right? It became uncouth. It didn't become cool anymore. And we taxed it. And there's there's evidence that, you know, if they have lower tax than cigarettes in some of the deep South states, um, and obviously socioeconomics plays a part in that, whereas, you know, where it's like you know, maybe 28 cents tax in, in Mississippi, it's like $4 tax in New York, right? So the, the smoking levels are definitely... Um, you know, there's a there's definitely a correlation between how highly something's tight. And it's not just that, but it's it's that as a society, we've made it harder to, to do that sort of thing. So we almost have to do that with ourselves when it comes to our eating and exercising is those cues, those contexts, right? Um, you know, because I don't see that similar thing happening, you know, in, in smoking and, and overeating. Those are two sort of, you know, similar pathways, I guess, in some ways, but also very different. And again, it goes back to what we started out with. I mean, like, it, people argue this, and I don't want to run with this too far, but it seems it's it's perfectly politically correct to be you know emphasize negativity towards a smoker in terms of, of mm -hmm. what that does, both in terms of it being dirty or its secondary effects of being near it, mm -hmm. or the implications on someone's health. There just isn't any pushback. Like, but holy shit, it's not politically correct, and I I agree. You can't treat people who are dealing with obesity. Uh, you know, in that way, like shaming anybody, I still think is mm -hmm. you know, problem behavior. I don't agree with it. But one mm -hmm. of the ways I've been recently thinking about this, and this is a complex topic, but I think one of the direct roots of this stuff is a sugar tax or a junk food tax, mm -hmm. which again, it's choice architecture in a way, yes. kind of yeah. libertarianism. There mm -hmm. are, you know, that the food lobbies are probably going to make that a very daunting thing to do. Right, and then right. someone might make an argument about, well, sociodemographics and access. Well, what is one of the best ways to, you know, remove the cheap, unhealthy food or, or get people to go towards healthier food, remove the, the, the cheap, unhealthy stuff, right? Literally mm -hmm. to the point where mm -hmm. you know, it is harder to make that justification to buy it because it's cheaper. Yeah, so absolutely. Complicated yeah. conversation. Not Very complicated. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Given all the government spending these days, I mean, that alone yeah. probably would pay off a lot of the provincial. And yeah, and <laughs> it's true. And you bring up a couple of good points there. Number one, that it's a very complicated, very systemic thing um, that would require cooperation with all levels of government, big food, which is huge, uh, the school system. Um, so there's this huge interplay between, okay, personal responsibility and corporate responsibility. And I think, you know, taxing, I don't have a strong opinion on it either way. I think it's a, a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. And I don't know if it's the Canadian in me, either the, you know, maybe the partial libertarian paternalism, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think there is something to that, but I don't think it's the solution, like a solution. It's part of a, a, a small piece of a giant puzzle where, where we have to look at it. And yeah, and, and there, there is something to be said for making um, fresh produce more accessible, you know, and, and there's, there's very, very um, uh, highly complex aspects to this. But yeah, I think, you know, we, we do have to act entirely as a society. And, you know, when we look at, you know, these blue zones, right, the, the places where, um, 
And if for the, those in your audience not familiar with them, um, you know, these are places of the, the most longevity. So they think there's like five of them. And one is Okinawa, Japan. One is in Nicoya in Costa Rica. And I, there's one in Italy. So when they look at all of these blue zones, I mean, and people study them, because like, why are these people living so long? I mean, I, there's a strong sense of community. They're, they tend to be mountainous things where, where uh, people grow their own food, people are moving, and there's a society where, where that's expected, where you know, you're going out for walks, you're, you're already active, you're eating fresh food. It's not just one thing, but you know, they built a society around healthy living, essentially. And you know, that's why people are living so long. So it's not coming down, you know, and, and diet gurus will try to say, oh, it's because they're not eating carbs. And the vegans will say, oh, it's look at these people in, in, in rural China, right? So, you know, I think every, every uh, nutritional opportunist um, that peddles any diet is going to try to pin it on one specific thing, but it's not one specific thing. It's that they have a society where they, they have great relationships. They have great social relationships. They've got you know, free areas to walk. And it's just, it's just ingrained in their society. And I think when we become further and further removed from that, and of course it's, it's different in different socioeconomical situations, geographies and, and systems, but um, yeah, no, it's a, it could be a very long and deep conversation, but um, yeah, no, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving parts. And I think we almost have to act defensively in our modern society, um, in, in our society of abundance and, and, easy access to cheap and, um, you know, calorically devoid foods. You're right. You bring up something that uh, is a challenge. I mean, to what degree is there individual responsibility? And I, and I personally believe that individual responsibility is always a critical factor in all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then to, to what degree can we design our society without being overly controlling because mm -hmm. most of that and that's yeah, that's the rare uh, isn't it right yeah people to make the better yeah. choices right so complex exactly. conversations let's be something you mentioned before we got on here that you were interested in was the navigation of argument on social media and i think mm -hmm. thoughts on that and now we're out mm -hmm. we're, we're dancing around complicated deep conversations but yeah. imagine that this is playing out on on a facebook wall Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts Ooh, yeah. on <laughs> arguments, you know, and, yeah. and how to navigate them? Yeah, and I'm trying to become one of those reform people that doesn't argue quite as much because I just used to, I used to follow that trap all the time, and I still kind of like, you know. So I think there there is a place where debate, I, you know, and I'll use the word debate instead of argument because I think arguing doesn't really get us anywhere in life or on you know social media life. But I think there is a place for um, constructive uh, argument, let's call it. So I heard a podcast recently and he, he said there was three different things, um, three different traps we can fall into when it comes to our, our uh, communication. And this completely relates to social media. So it's the three Ps. So, you know, we either become preachers or we become um, politicians or we become prosecutors. So we'll say that the preacher and prosecutor are the first two. So the preacher is, this is one way and whether it's keto or whether it's intermittent fasting or the veganism, this is one way, this is the only way. And my job is to prophesize this and to tell the world about this. And then on the other side of that coin, you have the, the prosecutor that's like, you are absolutely wrong about that. And I'm gonna prove you wrong about that. And then we have the pol politician side of things, which, which, you know, the optics of that sounds flexible, but really the politician is trying to sort of 
keep the peace and just kind of cater to their own um, following. And, and they just want, they're, they're basically just posting something that they're going to get high fives from their colleagues for, right? And, and, and all three have their, their detriments. So I think where um, debates become um, productive is you've got three types of people, I think, on, on you know, this, this whole contentious argument thing. Number one is the people that are like the diehard into one camp and is, is this way and this way only. And then you have the people opposing them and their followers. You're not gonna reach those people. That, that person's made up their mind, that guru's made up their mind, that guru has books to sell. And, and saying anything different from what that guru believes is going to test their own credibility with them with their following. And then you have the people arguing against them, those, those, you know, the, uh, the, the prosecutors and, and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to sway that side either, but then there's this middle ground. And this is why I, I do engage and learn from online debate. There's a middle ground that's maybe lurking, maybe paying attention and they haven't quite made up their mind yet. They're not in either camp. So I think it can be useful to capture that demographic. And I think there's a time and place that I think, you know, I think we should be calling out BS when it is clear and it can be potentially dangerous and it's, it's a, it can be a detriment to those reading it. I think we have a responsibility and Spencer Dodolsky again, it does a great job of that, Jordan Syed. And, and they do it in such a way where it's like, it's entertaining, it's, they memify it, they infographic. And, and I like to have a little bit of fun too. And I like to poke fun. And again, we talk about pissing off the lunatic fringe. You are gonna, um, you are gonna rankle the, uh, the, the extremists on this. But I, I do think there is value in trying to capture that middle ground, those people that are on the fence that will read these, these arguments and these debates and say, Oh, okay. I never saw it that way. And, and, you know, let's face it, they don't know any better. And then I've sort of sat in on debates and just as a lurker when it comes to different subject matter, right? Like, so if it's something to do with tech or if it's something to do with um, online marketing, I have no idea. And it's so easy for me to sort of, I could easily buy into something that's like, oh my gosh, yeah, this guy sells a marketing system and it's only like, you know, 200 97 dollars i'm gonna buy that and then somebody will be like oh my gosh i can't believe you're buying that and, and yet i'm sitting here going oh my gosh i can't believe people buy into this like cleanse but i think you know if we can dissuade people from more extreme measures and we can help educate we can help empower i think our, our biggest calling as responsible fitness professionals is to empower is to educate is to act as servants and and give them actionable um outlets and and you know not teach them what to think but teach them how to think about different aspects when it comes to nutrition and 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 exercise and lifestyle you're right uh playing i call it playing to the audience if i and i i don't often get involved in internet arguments there was once upon a time a long time ago i was more prone to it um mm -hmm. i no longer do and i have some thoughts on that mm -hmm. i'll come back to yeah but in the rare occasion where someone wanders into my instagram where i'm more active and they're an ideological zealot of some kind, right? Mm -hmm. Some sort of extremist. And you can look at this person and go, all right, their ideas are completely, you know, evident in terms of evidence-based, whatever, they're wrong, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a difficult standard to meet in a lot of cases, but sometimes you just get someone who wanders in and they're just full of shit. So fine, mm -hmm. but you're not going to try, like you said, you're not gonna change that person's opinion. But mm -hmm. how you engage with that person, if you are an asshole, 
to that person. Mm-hmm. It says mm-hmm. more about you than it does about mm-hmm. the person arguing with you. So you're always playing to the audience, the person who might be misled by this person's claims. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and I'm a big believer in how you conduct yourself online says a lot about you. And there are people mm-hmm. in our industry, I won't engage in naming names, but if you do not say or ask questions or, or bow down and agree with everything you're saying, mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. very nasty and intolerant. Oh, yeah. and I've seen that mm-hmm. behavior on you know left-leaning ideological spectrum and right-leaning ideological mm-hmm. spectrum. Mm-hmm. And when, once I see that sort of stuff, I mean, first of all, that's a person that I you know, decide, no, I'm not going to invite that person onto the podcast going forward, right? That's, yeah. I don't want to share those kinds of people with the world. Right. So, you know, I think how you engage with people is important. For Absolutely. me, I'm very, very picky about getting involved in arguments. There are, mm-hmm. in my experience, two people who do it well. Mm-hmm. Only two people. I'm sure there are others, but Mike Isertel and Alex Viata seem mm. To have a tact and a nuance and a mm-hmm. breadth and a depth to their intellectual database that allows them to engage in debate in a really thoughtful mm-hmm. and discussion. Mm-hmm. I have to that, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, I think that most fitness professionals are doing themselves a disservice mm-hmm. if they are frequently getting involved in arguments. Yeah. When I see Facebook arguments, it tells me one specific thing. You're not busy. You have too much free fucking time on your hand. <laughs> yeah. And you're not pursuing success in your career, your brand, working with clients. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There are people who can get involved in the occasional discussion, mm-hmm. be intelligent about it, bounce along. But it's the people who I see constantly in these arguments and debates. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. that's how they enjoy their, their free time. Maybe that's how they de-stress. That, that's, to me, it's stressful. The idea of yeah. <laughs> saying something that someone's going to come back and, and piss them off Mm-hmm. You know, is, is just like, it'll lurk in the back of my mind and it takes away from my ability to concentrate on mm. this or writing or, you know, if, if something's distracting me from coaching a client, I don't mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons yeah. why I'm very, very inactive on Facebook. And I don't wander into mm-hmm. stuff that I, I see. It, it's just like, yeah. I love the analogy. You know, I see something online that I don't agree with. Okay. It's like mm-hmm. walking down the road and mm-hmm. oh, there's dog shit on, on the side. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, a lot of people, what they essentially do is they do the equivalent of roll around in the dog shit and then cry that it smells terrible and that sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're doing yeah. when you see something online you disagree with and you have to go into attack mode. Yeah, right? yeah, no, and uh, yeah, you do it the right way. And, and, and <laughs> I still have a lot of learning to do because I still admittedly get to, uh, dragged into those things. I mean, I drag myself into it. That's the thing. And I just, I, it's like you said, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, I think you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, is this a good use of my time? And I think if it's defending something that you've written, which, which, you know, I know you had to do occasionally, that's, that's worthwhile because you're defending your own um, remarks or what have you, your own opinions, or even if it's fact-based, you're, you're going to have people that in opposition to that, or if there's a learning experience and you're doing it tactfully, we're not getting too, you know, emotionally involved with it. But I, I, yeah, I think that's, that's huge. Right. And and you have to, yeah. Is, is this a good use of your time? And if you're not, you know, is it taking away from something more productive that you could be doing? And that's the process I'm using now to (laughs) decide whether I'm going to engage or not. So, I mean, you know, there, there's tactful and there's, there's good ways to sort of call things out and, and, and yeah, that's part of what I I do. And I feel like, you know, I I feel like it is a, a bit of an obligation to sort of almost, you know, 
call this out, especially if it's somebody that's a that's a pretty big public figure that has a big audience and maybe say, hey, here's a different way to look at this. Um, so I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's big. And I think, you know, having that and, and you know, also to that real quick, um, you know, what can we learn from the other side? I think that's the the what's missing here is like, okay, you know, this person's saying this, okay, where are the points of agreement? Let's look at that first. What do we agree on? And I think genuinely all these other gurus, they, they probably do want to help people. I mean, I, obviously there's people in it just for the money and a quick cash grab, but you know, I, I think generally speaking, we all want to help society in some way. Um, so it's looking for that other side. And I, I heard an interview most recently with uh, Barack Obama. It's Brene Brown's podcast. She has a podcast now and it's quite excellent. But um, And that's as political as I get mentioning Barack Obama. But he's such an interesting man and I'm, I'm taking all politics aside. But one of the things that he said that, I, that really struck me is like he was hanging out in, in his college days with just like-minded people. He said, we all had this, this, the same, we, we hung in the same circles. We all had the very same opinions. He said, I had to get out of that. And he, he said, look, I, there's people from the opposite side of the political spectrum of me that have pretty good ideas. I mean, I might not agree with a lot of their fundamentals, but like they actually have some pretty good ideas. So it's important to listen to that, the, you know, sift out the good stuff and just hang in different circles and, and, and really kind of expose yourself to different ideas. And, um, and, that, and that struck me. And that's, that's kind of like, okay, that's, that's, that's a good way to think about things too. And I don't always think about that when I'm going in. It's like, no, I'm right. And that, that, that preacher, that, you know, prosecutor that, <laughs> you know, you want you, the instinct is to sort of go in guns of blaze and say, no, you're wrong. But um, no, it's, it, I think it's about how we, uh, we, we discern this and how we get this message out to other people in a way that's actionable to them. I, I love that you mentioned Brene Brown because I think she's one of the best people that you could mm. possibly expose yourself to her ideas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, her thoughts on, on shame and guilt and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a couple of things that I certainly pick up from her and, and I take it there. I don't care if it is coming from the highest moral ground possible, if you are using shame as a tactic towards mm. others, especially online, that's a particularly nasty thing. And I'm really, I don't like the use of dehumanizing language as something Brene has mm. written about as well. And we see mm -hmm. it all over the place, right? So, yeah. you know, if you get he heated and frustrated, don't fall into the traps where, you know, and then right now we are seeing a lot of stuff going on over the world. And I, I personally am witnessing a lot of shaming under the guise of you know, mm. progressivism, under the guise of science, under the, mm -hmm. the guise of, you know, the, the, the moral high ground. And yet mm -hmm. shame is being the major mm -hmm. used to gain compliance in certain things. And I don't think that's, mm -hmm. I don't like that. Um, but yeah. yeah, Brene is wonderful. I think everybody should read her stuff and you know, I respect Barack, mm -hmm. you know, intelligent guy. I mean, if, not a big fan of most politicians, but uh, Barack <laughs> yeah. seemed to handle himself with a lot of grace. Um, there's mm -hmm. a I had it there too. Oh yes, of course. Um, the, the whole thing about learning from, the people, you know, the people we sort of see as the bad guys, right? The ones mm -hmm. who are sharing the misinformation that we want to argue about. Mm -hmm. One, I think if it is part of your brand to highlight those individuals, and it is part of yours, it's not part of mine. Uh, Lane Norton would be a really good example of someone mm -hmm. who these people on. Yeah, It can work as part of your brand if it is consistent with who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think that... It, complaining about the people in our industry who are selling 
bullshit or misinformation, misleading people, the social media influencer types, for the most part is a, is a big waste of your time, unless it is very on brand for you. And even mm-hmm. then you and Lane as two examples are sharing a lot of very useful information to counter mm-hmm. that. I think the lesson to learn is why do these people have the audience they do? Now, part of the problem is they're giving mm-hmm. people simple answers to complex problems mm-hmm. and selling them bullshit because people want quick fixes and, and simple answers. Okay, mm-hmm. well, we still have to understand that. It's like what, one of the things you said right at the very beginning, and I wrote it down, you know, you're selling people what they want, but giving them what they need, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. a fundamental essence of this. So instead of complaining about, you know, someone having more followers or selling more or making more money or, or wielding more influence, how can you as an individual professional and brand mm-hmm. engage yourself in such a way that you attract a larger audience? Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of shortcuts mm-hmm. to that. Do it with integrity, like you mm-hmm. said. But if we can learn the lessons of being great marketers within a message that has integrity and is based in evidence, mm-hmm. I think we win all across the board. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of examples in our industry. You said Jordan Syatt being one of them. Spencer mm-hmm. is a great example. Mike Gizertel, Sohi Lee. And that yeah. list is a very long list of really good people in our world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Follow their lead and their example mm-hmm. instead of spending a lot of your time complaining about the people who frustrate you, but Mm -hmm. you have no control over them. You can't make them Mm -hmm. go away. You can't legislate them gone. You can't, you know, report them to the point they get banned from social media. That stuff is is way beyond your power. So you may Mm -hmm. as well use your your emotional energy towards more constructive pursuits, which is to reach and help more people. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's the way, you know, for myself, especially, but like, I think, you know, and if you're newer to this, you know, listening in, yeah, no, just if your mandate, if your purpose is to help people just kind of asking, okay, in what way does this help? Not, not, no, not every single post is going to be this extremely actionable, like infographic type thing. And I mix it up a little bit too. I like to infuse some humor, right? It, it's, it's, it's well-intentioned. It's just, you know, it does poke a little bit of fun, but I think, you know, it's just, it's one of those things is, it's just, I don't take a lot of aspects of my industry that serious. I take the industry seriously, if that makes sense. Yep. But, you know, uh, I feel like as long as my overarching message is um, and my branding and my, my, my content is something that is actionable and is something that is benefiting people, I think you're absolutely right. Focus in on just, you know, providing excellent content and you might, you might be, you might say something that's not completely true every once in a while, but don't be afraid to put it out there and don't be afraid to be your authentic self. But at the end of the day, you know, if you keep putting out good content, people are going to find you eventually. And, um, you know, it, I know you've got, <laughs> you're, you're a prime example of that, right? And there's no such thing as an overnight success and you should sort of build things brick by brick. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it, it, it caught some fire, but you know, somebody who didn't hasn't known you for the last five years like I have might say oh it's Andrew Coates I just came out of nowhere but you know it it took work it took perseverance it took a lot of of just you know um yeah just nose to the grindstone type you know effort and and that's awesome I believe in that effort and I think there's there's a lot of good in that I was just going to mention some of the stuff I've noticed on your social media recently and I really like it so obviously Mm -hmm. I want you guys to go and and follow Mike at it's at lean minded on Instagram and I think all roads probably lead through there. I know you're 
your uh, yeah. plus course is, yeah. is listed in there. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the recent posts, I like some of the graphics, there's some infographic stuff in there. And this is the sort of stuff that I know is, is more shareable. Mm -hmm. And the moment you have things that are more shareable, then you're in front of more people's eyes as you show up in other people's stories. I mean, that's been the key to my mm -hmm. social media growth this past year is to write things that serve the people I'm who are following me, but they also mm -hmm. like to share it to the point where it brings more people to my doorstep, which means mm -hmm. that my ideas, my knowledge, my, my articles, my podcasts get in front of a larger audience. Mm -hmm. I'm out there countering to the best of my ability, some of the charlatanic nonsense mm -hmm. that gets mm -hmm. peddled out there. Yeah. So I, I like what I see here and I hope what uh, people choose to do is to go check out what you're doing and yeah. follow you and uh, start sharing your stuff around with the industry, with their friends who might benefit from it. Thank you. No, I appreciate Thank that very much. I appreciate me, you sharing my stuff. It means a lot. Absolutely. Well, again, like, you know, every person I get to bring onto this podcast is a, is an endorsement of, of who I have on here. Right. And, you know, I mean, there is a juncture way back when where there's probably oh, a, a small handful of guests and I'm not going to have anybody try to guess who they would be, but then I would look back and go, no, I, you know, I, I wouldn't re-invite them back to the podcast, you know, based on what I now know about them or how, or how they mm -hmm. conduct themselves in the grander sphere. But going forward, each person I choose, I'm, I'm thinking very critically about who I invite mm -hmm. on here. And mm -hmm. I get these occasional people who pop up and I've never met before and I don't know their reputations. And they're like, hey, you know, can I come on your podcast? And, and I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. but I do take my time and I'm very thoughtful about who I bring mm -hmm. on you know, I've been, we've been talking for a little while. I wanted to get you back on here and I'm glad this worked today. So yeah, appreciate it very much, Andrew. Thanks so much. Well, uh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm back. So uh, hopefully I can string together a bunch of these and my schedule isn't too, doesn't make it too difficult, but uh, you know, this is an important thing as well. So uh, thanks for staying tuned, everybody. I appreciate it. Um, reach out, shoot me some messages. I want to know right now is a good time for me to hear what kind of an impact this podcast has on you because that's the kind of stuff that stays top of mind to remind me, Hey, I need to do this. I need to make the time for it. And I'm very grateful to have a crazy busy schedule, but I've, you know, it, part of the challenge is finding time within normal, reasonable hours to, you know, book a lot of people. You were nice enough to come on on a Sunday evening to come <laughs> and chat with me. Right. So uh, Mike, it's Anytime. great to catch up again. I will Anytime. Be, we're recording on Sunday night. So this will be available very late Monday, very early Tuesday uh, this coming week. So it'll be up right away. And for everybody else uh, listening, you know, things like five-star reviews and sharing it with someone in your world that you believe this would have value to goes a long way towards me helping more people, which is something I genuinely love to do and make, make a good living in the process. There's nothing dishonorable about that. So let's not gloss that over. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. And thank you, everyone.